First Peter, I would remind you, is um, a book written by um, Peter, who was sort of the, known as like the leader of the disciples. Um, he, uh, what you see in Peter by this time, by the time of the writing of this letter, is Peter is now an, an older man. He's a pastor. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Peter goes on to be um, the pastor, and this is great pastor. In fact, it would have meant a great deal for Christians to get a letter from Pastor Peter. Um, Peter was someone who walked with Jesus. Peter is someone who listened to the teachings of Jesus. Peter was someone, by this uh, point of his life, had learned a great deal of wisdom and had a a lot of wisdom to share with younger believers. And so this would have meant a great deal um, for Christians to get a letter from Peter. But anytime we talk about Peter, I'm always... I'm always reminded that that's not, that's not how Peter started off, right? Like Peter in the, in the, in the gospels, yeah, he's kind of the leader of the disciples, but, but, but he got it wrong a lot, right? He got it wrong a lot. He had a lot, he was, he was pretty immature in a lot of ways. And I don't know about you, but for me, that, that just gives me a lot of hope, right? That where we start in the journey by God's grace is not where we end. That um, God is patient with us. Um, Peter was able to grow and mature through a lot of mistakes and failures. um, God was not finished with Peter in the Gospels. God continued to use Peter uh, much later in life. And so hopefully that's a story you connect with as well. Um, Peter is now an an older pastor, and he's writing to um, these Christians that are, um, we're going to see in a moment, like uh, they're scattered. They've been scattered throughout this this, this region um, because of some persecution and some trials that that they're enduring. Um, because the, the culture, the world is very much against them. And so um, Peter writes to give them a great deal of, of hope and encouragement. And so we're going to jump in here. And I'm going to start um, where Austin did last week. And we'll start at the very beginning here in verse 1. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Um, I underlined both of those words right next to each other in my Bible. We're going to talk about those for just a minute. Elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, I mentioned that that Peter, um, he mentions these two words right next to each other, elect exiles. Christians, basically, um, we are to live in this world with a bit of a dual identity, okay? So the the first identity, Peter uses the word elect, um, and so if you are here and you are more of like the Arminian sort of free will version, um, don't freak out, right? I'm I'm not wading into the deep waters of like predestination and election. We're not going there because I don't have time and I don't want all the emails after church, right? And so that's not where we're heading. Uh, But whether you are more in the reformed kind of Calvinist camp where you believe election is like a personal, individual sort of election, or whether you're more in like the Arminian, more free will camp where you believe when the Bible mentions elect or election, it's talking more about the church as a whole and not more of a specific kind of individual election. That's open-handed here. We're not telling you which camp you have to be in. We're fine with both. Whichever camp you're in, let me just say this. When Peter describes you as elect, what he's saying is that you belong to God. That's your identity. You are a child of God. You're on God's team, if you will, right? You're on God's team. That's, in, that's, that's really good news, by the way. 
that you're on God's team. That means that you're a child of God's, you're chosen by God, you're accepted, you're adopted, you have a family to belong to. That's what elect means. When you read the word elect, that's ultimately what it means. That's your identity. We've talked about identity before. That is the identity that we should live out of, right? You are not who the world says that you are. You are not who Satan tries to remind you that you are. You are who God says that you are, and that is our identity in this world that we should live out of. We are children of a holy God. That's unbelievably good news. Now, right next to the word elect, he uses the word exile. Exile literally means the opposite of elect, right? Where elect means belonging and, and, and accepted, the word exile means rejected and, you know, outcast and marginalized and like foreigner, alien, stranger to the world, right? So it's interesting that Peter begins the letter by putting these two words right next to each other and telling Christians this is who they are. You are elect, you are chosen, you are God's, uh, God's family, adopted, accepted, belonging. At the same time, in this world, you are also strangers. You are marginalized. There's going to be times you are outcast. This is who Peter is writing to. This is the dual identity with which we live. Like how many of you watch the news and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure this world's for me, right? Like I feel like a bit of a stranger here. There's some weird stuff out there and I just don't, I don't know if I'm really, I don't fit in here. You ever feel like you don't fit in here? Yeah, that's not new by the way. That's the way Christians have felt for a long time. And Austin talked about this last week. Like the Bible tells us that we're gonna feel like exiles a little bit. So we shouldn't bemoan the fact that we don't get to you know, lead culture and be in positions of all authority and make all the rules. The Bible literally tells us that we're probably not. That's, that's probably not gonna be our lot in life, okay? And so we are walking through this world, we are elect, we are children of God, we live out of that identity, but that also means that we are exiles, which means, again, God loves us as his children, but the world, the culture, the culture is going to reject us. It means that we are blessed in Christ, but that the world's gonna do the opposite sometimes and is gonna give us a lot of burdens, a lot of burdens. This side of heaven, that is the dual identity with which we live. Elect, exiles, right? I wanna get in, I wanna spend a little bit more time then in the next part of the text because Peter is writing to Christians that have been scattered because they are exiles, because of persecution, because of hardship, trial, pain, all of the stuff in this world, they are now scattered throughout the region. And along with that comes all the feelings, all the anxiety and the stress and everything that comes with being an exile um, and feeling like a stranger in a foreign place. Um, Peter now, Pastor Peter, is writing to these Christians ultimately to give them a great deal of hope. That's where he starts his letter. He wants the Christians to have some hope, right? I love this section of scripture. I've used this section of scripture, actually preached it for many funerals for Christians because honestly, um, it, it's, it's the whole text is about, about hope and where our hope should be. Um, my wife's uh, grandmother passed away about, uh, I think about a year and a half ago. And about a year before she passed away, she asked if I would come over to her house and she wanted to chat with me about um, a few things. One was that she, she wanted me to, to preach her funeral and she wanted to let me know the text that she specifically wanted me to, to preach at her funeral. And this is the text that she, that she gave me. And I thought she would like, you know, give it to me and have it written down or maybe read it to me. Um, but she didn't, she just, she just quoted it to me. 
She just quoted 1 Peter 1, like three to nine, just, just quoted it. It was one of her favorite texts. And so I preached her funeral about a year and a half ago, and I, I used this text right here about hope, about hope in Christ. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, I need some hope. Sign me up for that, right? This text is for you. This sermon, this sermon is for you. Here's what, we, here's what it says, 1 Peter 1, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, I love that. That, that Peter is writing to these Christians that feel like exiles, and he's saying, hey, here's the first thing y'all need to remember. No matter what you're going through, that there's, there's some hope out there. Um, hope is one of those things that our world severely lacks, isn't it? Um, I like to watch survivor shows. Anybody else watch survivor shows? I love to watch survivor shows. And one of the things that all survivalists will tell you is that you, you need three things to live, right? They're gonna say you need water, you need food, and you need shelter. It's like every survival show that's where they spend their time. Water, food, and shelter. Those things are the priority. And I would say, while those things are, yes, you need those to physically live, uh, you also, if you're going to live, uh, you need hope, right? Like, you gotta have some hope. Um, when people lose life sometimes, um, listen, there's a lot of people that lose life, uh, and they have food, water, and shelter. But, but hope is one of those things you cannot live long, man cannot live long without hope. We've gotta have some hope, right? And I love that Peter calls it a living hope. We just sang about it. It's a living hope, which means it's not just hope that we have one day, someday out there we're gonna have. No, it's a hope that we need right now. It's a hope that we need right now in this life, in this world to sustain us. It's, it's hope. And, and listen, I mentioned earlier that we as Christians, we absolutely need to live out of the identity as children of God. I'm convinced that a lot of our problems, a lot of our issues, a lot of the mental health struggle, um, even in the church, a lot of it boils down to the fact that we're not living out of our identity as children of God, um, first and foremost. The other problem that I think a lot of us have, if we're honest, there is a propensity, if you will, in all of us to place our hope in the wrong stuff, right? And that's not just... That's not just for us. That's literally the history of mankind. There is this sort of propensity to want to place our hope in all the wrong things. Mankind constantly tries to place their hope in all the wrong stuff. And I'm just telling you, you cannot place your hope in your job. You cannot place your hope in your money, your 401k, retirement one day. Don't place your hope in your, your friends and your family. They may be great, but they're going to let you down at some point. They just will. You can't place your hope in, in health because at the end of the day, one of these days your health is going to fail you as well. You cannot place your hope in the government or the next election. Some people are like, well, if we could just get the right people in office or the right guy in the White House or whatever, I'm telling you, not gonna work, right? Most of you probably know that by now, <laughs> right? You can't place your hope in your sports team, right? Baylor fans, you just can't, right? <laughs> it's not gonna go well, right? You can't, we place our hope in a lot of stuff, don't we? We place our hope in all the wrong things. There is this propensity in all of us to sort of chase after and think that this next thing is where we need to place our hope. And time after time, those things always just kind of, they always, they always let us down. They just do. 
Christian hope, I would remind you, is not naive optimism. It's not burying your head in the sand and pretending like there are no problems. It's not ignoring or avoiding problems. Christian hope is a realistic hope based on the promises of God in Scripture. That's what Christian hope is. And Peter, I love that he writes this letter specifically to tell these Christians that feel scattered like exiles where to place their hope. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention that I think there's three things in this text that we just read that Peter tells Christians to place their hope in. All right? The first one is in verse 3. Maybe you caught it. We'll read verse 3 again. Here's what verse 3 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Where? Here's what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first place that you and I are to place our hope. Our hope is in the source of our salvation. That is the death and the resurrection of Christ. Right? That is the first place that you and I should be placing our hope. Our hope is in the source of our salvation, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's our hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trials you encounter, our hope is in the finished work of Christ. If you're new to the vista, um, we, we call this the gospel, right? It's, it's, it's the good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And maybe you've never heard the gospel before, so I'll just briefly try to describe for you what the gospel is and why it is good news, okay? The gospel starts, though, like this. You and I are sinners. We are really, really, really messed up, broken sinners, okay? We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We can't be good enough, holy enough, pious enough to earn our way back to God. Now, because we're sinners, what we deserve is the wrath of God. We deserve death and we deserve hell, okay? Um, Because God's just, right? God is just and God's got to punish sin. If God doesn't punish sin, he's not God, right? So you and I are sinners. That's a problem. God is just and has to punish sin. um, And you and I deserve death and hell and the wrath of God poured out on us because we are sinners. And some of you right now are going, that doesn't sound like good news, Dave. When are we getting to the good news part, right? Hang with me, right? Because in the midst of that, God looks down and sees that and goes, hmm, they can't fix this. So God fixes it. And God sends his son Jesus. And Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life. And ultimately, Jesus goes to a cross where he's crucified. He's literally slaughtered. His blood is spilled on a cross. And what's happening when he hangs on the cross is he is paying for our sin. The wrath of God that must be poured out on sin is poured out on Christ. He takes our place. It's called substitutionary atonement. He's paying for our sin, right? That's why it's good news. You and I can be saved um, from our sin through faith in Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace, right? We place our faith in Christ. He's the source of our salvation. He dies on a cross. Three days later, he gets up and he walks out of the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death once and for all. And so we place our faith in Jesus We are saved. That is the source of our salvation. And Paul's writing, I mean, Peter, I'm sorry, is writing to these Christians who are going through the ringer. And he's like, hey, guys, no matter what this world throws at you, no matter how bad it gets, remember this. Jesus still died for you on a cross. Jesus still died for you. Man, he's the source of your salvation. He's very much alive. No matter what the world throws at you, you still belong to him. You're still on his team. Don't forget that, right? That's the hope. That's the first place that Pastor Peter tells the church to place their hope, in the death and the resurrection of Christ, all right? That's not the only place he tells us to place our hope. Let's look at the next verse, right? 
The next verse says this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the next thing he points them to is our hope in the reward of our salvation, which is our inheritance in heaven one day, right? The reward of our salvation is our, our heavenly inheritance. Man, again, this is, this is really good, good news. I, I love the fact that he mentions imperishable and undefiled and unfading. That's different than, than the treasure we build in this world, isn't it? Scripture is going to tell us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. You know why? Because treasures on earth aren't going with you, right? Treasures on earth are going to fade. Treasures on earth are going to, to rust. They're going to they're go away one day. Think about this. All the stuff that you spend your time in this life building, all the wealth, all the, anything you spend a lot of time on, hear me, one day it will not belong to you. It will belong to somebody else who will do with it whatever they want. That's just the reality. You can spend your time collecting stuff, you know, building, spinning your wheels, all of it. And that's great. There's nothing wrong. I mean, that's fine. Just know that that's not going with you, right? It's not. My wife and I bought a house years ago out in the country. I've always wanted to live out in the country. We finally were able to do it. We bought a house out in the country. It's not a big house, like square footage. It's actually pretty small, but we love it. We love it out there, right? It's like our little piece of heaven on earth. Like we just love living out there. And listen, since the time we moved in, we have gotten to work changing everything about it, right? Like we remodeled the house. We have... Um, Man, the people that lived there before us, they, they were big gardeners. The whole backyard was like a big garden and they had spent all this time gardening. Listen, we're not gardeners. What we do in the Jeffrey's house is we kill plants. That's what we do. We murder plants, okay? And so we're like, we can't have gardens. It won't go well. So we get rid of all the garden stuff. And, and, and they had, um, they loved like, they had lined all the driveways with like rocks and um, rocks were they loved rocks. I'm not a big fan. They were just always in the way. So I, I'm on a tractor for the first year or two. We lived there moving rocks, hauling everything they had done and moving it out to a big pile. And my point is the elderly couple that lived there before we moved in probably spent decades getting the home exactly like they wanted it. They spent time in the garden and on the rock. Everything they did was to get it exactly like they want it. And then some, at some point they had to sell it and we bought it and we come in and we have just changed everything. And guess what? One of these days, I hope it's a long time from now, but it may not be, that house is gonna belong to somebody else. And you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna come in and be like, man, look at all this junk. Who did this? And they're gonna change it all again. They're just gonna come in and completely redo everything again, right? All the stuff that we spend so much time, energy, and effort on, there's nothing wrong with that, but just understand it ain't, it ain't going with you. Someday, not long after you're gone, all that stuff's gonna go to someone else and they're gonna do with it what they want. Our treasures on this earth are perishable. They're fading. So isn't it good to know that our hope is in our eternal inheritance? That one day we're gonna, we have an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading. It cannot change. That's what Paul is telling the church here. To place your hope in that. Your inheritance one day is a child of God that is kept in heaven for you. There's one other thing he tells us to place our hope in. Look in verse five. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this. He says that our hope is also in the security of our salvation. 
and that is God's power to guard our faith, right? This is unbelievably good news because I know some of you in your Christian life, your Christian journey, you walk on a bit of eggshells, right? You're like, what if I, what if I sin? What if I struggle with a certain sin or certain error? What if I struggle with the same sin over and over? Can God really, like, am I still his child? Like some of you kind of live your Christian life like worried that like, what if, what if I don't like hold on to Jesus enough, right? And so for me, I love this verse because it's a reminder that our hope is in the security of our salvation because God is the one guarding that, right? God is the one guarding that. Like, I feel like there's some people here that maybe need to hear this. So I'm gonna share a few other verses with you along this line. And I hope that it gives you hope, okay? I hope that it gives you a great deal of hope. Over in uh, John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. I'm gonna roll through these really quick so you can jot them down if you wanna look them up later. I promise I'm not making them up, right? Um, This is not in like 1 David chapter one. Uh, This is John chapter 10. Here's what Jesus is talking here and here's what he says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand and I and the father are one. Isn't that good news? You're in the hands of God and nothing and no one can pry you out of God's hands. There's no one strong enough to pry you out of the hands of the father, right? That's good news. Look in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is another really great verse about this. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. Paul writes this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. If you're a child of God, nothing's gonna separate you from that. And someone's like, well, what about this one? No, uh, nothing, right? Well, Dave, you don't know what I struggle with. Uh, Nothing. You know what nothing means in Greek? Nothing, right? Like, nothing. Nothing can separate you. I'll read one more. Over in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Again, Paul writing this says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able, who is able? He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, Right? God is the one that's able to do that. You're in the hands of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I was thinking about this fact uh, this week. I was trying to remember back many years ago when my older boys were much younger, we took them to Disney World for the very first time. And um, we went all day. It's kind of crazy. You ever been to Disney World? You're like exhausted by the end of the day. And so we go back to like the resort and we take some time to kind of rest, but they really want to go back in the evening for like this big parade thing that they do and the castle's all lit up. And so we're like, okay, um, we'll rest for a minute. We'll go back to the park. And so we go back to the park. And if you've been there before, you know this, but it is like crazy mass. There's people everywhere. It's just crazy crowded, right? People all over the place. 
And so we're trying to make our way back up there and find a spot in the crowd. And I remember looking at my, now my middle son, my youngest wasn't there yet. At the time it was my youngest son and he was really young. And I remember telling him, hey buddy, listen, you need to hold on to my hand. Okay, we're gonna try to make our way through the crowd. You need to hold on to my hand. Cause, cause like if you don't hold on to my hand and you get lost, we're not gonna know where to find you, okay? And I remember like, he's probably my son that struggles with more anxiety. I just remember the petrified look on his face like, and I had one of those moments as a dad where like a theological thing rolled through my mind where I was like, you know, that's a, that's a lot to put on a kid, right? Like, hey, if you don't hold my hand, you're gonna be lost forever. So good luck, here we go, right? You know, it's like, uh, okay, maybe I should rephrase this. So I remember kneeling down going, hey, here's the thing. You hold my hand, but, but I'm gonna be holding your hand, right? And I'm not gonna let go. I am not letting go of your hand. And he's like, that sounds much better, dad. Like, like that's... <laughs> Let's, yeah, you don't let go of me, okay? Listen, this has been said by many different people. I don't even know who to attribute the quote to, but here's what I would remind you of, church, that our confidence does not lie in our ability to hold on to God, but in God's ability to hold on to us, okay? So yes, walk with Jesus. Place your hand in his. Hold the hand of Christ. But listen, our confidence isn't in our ability to not let go, our confidence is in his ability to not let go. Because I don't know about you, but I tend to let go a lot, right? I mean, I tend to let go, that's what kids do. I get distracted and I let go, but thanks be to God, my hope is in the security of my salvation because God's not letting go of me. And so, Peter writes to this group of scattered Christians to say, hey, don't put your hope in the wrong stuff. Put your hope in the right stuff. You put your hope in the source of your salvation that Jesus died and was raised again for you. You put your hope in the fact, you know, that your reward is in heaven one day. You have an inheritance that's yours and it's not going away. You put your hope in the fact that your salvation is secure, not because you're really good, but because God's really good, right? That's where our hope lies. And then in the few minutes we have left, I gotta go quick here. I wanna get to the the last part of the text because he talks about trials, that trials are a reality in this world. They are. And again, we're not people that stick our head in the sand and pretend that the world's not a bad place. We don't stick our head in the sand and pretend that everything's great when it's really not. Trials are a real part of our life. And so here's what he says in verse six. In this you rejoice, all the reasons for hope. Rejoice in that, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. All of us, grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is gonna acknowledge their trials, right? He's gonna acknowledge that. He's not gonna say, oh, it's not that big a deal. No, they're, they're grieved. All of us, if we live long enough, are grieved by various trials. And they're very real trials. And again, we're not people that sort of bury our heads in the sand and, and pretend that the world's, you know, everything's fine. It, it's often not. In John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you, you will have trials, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation. But then he says, but take heart, because... I have overcome the world. Like, I've overcome the world. But he said, you're you're going to have trials. And so here's the thing Peter ends on, even with the trials. 
While trials are difficult, they're not comfortable, nobody really wants to go through them, right? Nobody really likes to go through the trials. What he's going to say is that even in the trials of your life, in those moments, you have a choice. You can either run from God or you can run to God with those things. And he's going to say that even in the trials, in the midst of the trials, that God is able to use those things. I didn't say God causes all that stuff, but I said God can use all those things to continue to grow you and shape your faith if you'll let him. As we learn to trust in God and have a dependence on God, even in the most difficult seasons of life, there is something happening where God is growing and shaping and deepening our faith, right? It's the same thing Peter says a few pages to the right. I mean, same thing James says, I'm sorry. In James chapter one, um, a few pages to the left, uh, James says this. In James chapter one, verses two to four, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Peter's saying the same thing to the church. Like, guys, trials are real. And some of you have gone through, are going through some unimaginable things. And that's very real. And we don't just kind of blow it off as if it's nothing. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We go, no, those things are real. The hurt, the pain, the loss, the suffering, it's all very real. But in the midst of it, just know that, man, our faith is being deepened. Just know that, that we have a hope that the world doesn't know anything about. We come in here every single week as the church and we sing and we celebrate. Sometimes you see people raising their hands, some people are clapping and we're, we're celebrating with joy every single week and we do that week in and week out. Not, we don't do that because there's no problems out there. We don't do that because, you know, it's just not a big deal. We do that because, man, there are problems out there but there's, there's hope in here, right? There are problems out there and they're very real problems. But we don't, we don't go through the world as if we don't have any hope. And so Jordan and the band are going to come back out, and we're going to worship a little bit. And I'm going to invite you to stand, to sing, to celebrate. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to clap, clap. We're going to celebrate, because while there is a world out there with a lot of trials and a lot of tribulation, we also are people that have a lot of hope. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for this beautiful letter of 1 Peter. God, there are a lot of similarities to the people that Peter was writing to and to the church today. God, there's times where we just quite honestly, we feel like we just don't quite fit in this world. We watch the news and it just seems like sometimes the world has gone a little bit crazy. And so God, I pray that while we acknowledge the struggle, we acknowledge the problems we acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the heartache and the loss. God, we also remember that we have a living hope, that you have given us a living hope. God, that our hope is rooted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the fact that we have an inheritance with you one day that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable. And God, it's rooted in the fact that you are guarding our salvation. And God, that our ability, our ability um, and our confidence, God, is not based on us holding on to you, but it's based on you as a good father holding on to us. 
And so we just thank you for that today. We thank you for the living hope that you have given us in Christ Jesus. And I pray that we would celebrate as your people like we have that hope. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen.